Amen. You guys can go ahead and find a seat. How we doing? All right. It's good to be here. Uh, my name is Timmy. I'm on staff here at Mercy Hill Church. If we have not met before, I'd love to meet you. If it's your first time, welcome. Thanks for coming out on this snowy day. Uh, I just saw on the on the, the weather calendar, or weather calendar, someone told me next week it's going to be zero degrees and a negative 25 wind chill. I'm from Louisiana, so that's like, you know, that's crazy. Um, hopefully that doesn't happen. But anyways, if you have been with us the last three weeks, we have been going through the book of Ruth. It's this little four-chapter narrative in our Old Testament. And so if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to Ruth. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's some on the floor. And in some of the blue Bibles, it's page 249. That's the, that's the best I can help you. But some of them, it, it, I don't think it is. So we'll see where you end up. Um, table of contents is nice too. But yeah, if you have missed any of the last weeks or you're just joining us today, I'm just gonna kind of catch us up to speed of what has been happening in this story. So uh, the book of Ruth, yes, it is a narrative in our Old Testament of our Bible. And it begins with this man named Elimelech who was married to this woman named Naomi. Okay, they were both Israelites. So they were in the people of God and they had two sons, okay? And what we find out in chapter one early on is that there's a famine happening in Bethlehem where they live. And so they ended up leaving Bethlehem and they went to Moab to go look for food. Well, Israel and Moab, um, those nations did not really get along. Moab was, you know, Gentiles. They're not a part of the people of God. And their background, honestly, is pretty sketch. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But, but um, yeah, so they're there in Moab. And why, while Naomi and Elimelech are living, Elimelech ends up passing away. And so now it's just Naomi and her two sons. And both her sons end up marrying Moabite women. One of them was Ruth. It's kind of like our our main character in this story, and the other one is Orpah. And then after some time goes by, both of Naomi's sons, you know, Ruth and Orpah's husbands, they end up passing away. And so now you have these three widows in Moab, okay, this mother-in-law and her two daughters-in-law, and they're all grieving, and they have no men to take care of them. And Naomi decides that she's going to go back to Bethlehem to her people. She's heard that the barley harvest is beginning there, that she may be able to get some food and help. So she decides... She's going to go back, and one of her daughters stays back, stays with her old gods, with her old family, but Ruth decides to leave her old family, to leave her old, her old gods, and she turns to Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God that we worship here at Mercy Hill, and, and she goes back with Naomi, and she says, where you go, I'll go. Like, your God will be my God, and I will follow you there, and so she goes back. This really honorable thing that she does, okay, all this is chapter one, okay? Then chapter two happens, and now you have, you know, Naomi and Ruth. They end up in, in Bethlehem. They're these two widows. They're poor. And then uh, Ruth ends up going into the, the field when they would do this thing called gleaning, where they would go and just basically pick up the scraps from, you know, the, the farmers went through, and whatever scraps they left, they were allowed to pick up and take. Well, you know, now Ruth is a Moabite living in a foreign land, and she's gleaning in the field of this man named Boaz, okay? Well, Boaz is an honorable man. He, he loves God. He fears God. And he notices Ruth, and he sees and he hears a story about how she moved back with Naomi and didn't turn to her old gods, but turned to Yahweh, the true God. 
and he begins to just bless her and show her favor, okay? And so he's, he's hooking her up with all kind of barley. He's letting, him, he's letting uh, you know, her, her drink water from the same, you know, spigots that his, his, his servants get to drink from, and he's, like, feeding her lunch and stuff. And so she comes back, and she's got, you know, this, you know all this bundle of food that Boaz has, has blessed her with. And Naomi's like, what, what field are you, are you working in? You know, where, where did you glean today? Like, this, that's so much. And, you know, she says, well, I, I was in Boaz's field. And Naomi begins to praise God, okay, because Boaz was actually one of Elimelech's relatives, okay? All right, so track with me, because this is important, okay, if we're going to understand. <laughs> um, so in, in the Old Testament law in Deuteronomy 25, they had this law where if uh, a woman who is Israelite, she— she lost her husband. She's now a widow. Then it was the like a relative's responsibility to be a goel, as the Hebrew word, but like a redeemer. So he would take her as his wife and then bear children through her in the name of her husband who passed, okay? They don't do this anymore, but this was something that they did back then. And so Naomi begins to praise God because Boaz is actually one of their relatives and could be someone who redeems them and gets them out of their poor situation that like, looks helpless where their future looks, looks horrible. They're not going to have any offspring. They're not going to have any men to take care. They're just going to be beggars in this field, what it looks like for the rest of their life. But now there's some hope, okay? And then in chapter three, which is what Dylan talked about last week, Ruth goes, you know, and does this kind of strange thing where she like, you know, Boaz is sleeping on his barley. He's kind of keeping watch over it. She uncovers his feet and she pretty much proposes to him, okay? It's, it's this kind of weird thing they did back there. Some of you wish that maybe, you know, a girl will come propose to you like that one day. Um, it's probably not going to happen. It's an ancient Near Eastern thing that, you know, happened to widows. So, sorry, guys. But, you know, you can pray and ask God. Uh, <laughs> but, but Boaz, you know, wakes up. He sees that Ruth has, you know, pretty much proposed and is asking him to redeem her. And he is so honored by this and says, I'm going to act. Today, but here's the first thing you need to understand is that there's actually another redeemer who's closer in line, and it's his opportunity first. It is his right to redeem you first. So if he does it, then then so be it. Praise God. Like he'll redeem you. But if not, then I will do it. And he's like, I'm gonna settle today. So that's where we are picking up in our story. Boaz is gonna go find the redeemer who is first in line to redeem Ruth. And we're going to see what happens, okay? We're at the town gate of Bethlehem. So chapter 4, verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it, okay? So here's what happens. Boaz, right, he's at, he's at the gate. He finds the guy who's first in line to redeem Ruth and, and Naomi. 
And he tells them of Naomi, how she's back and there's this land and you're first in line. If you want to redeem it, you can go for it. But if you're not going to do it, I'm next in line. So I'll do it. But the guy says, I'm going to go ahead and redeem it. Well, then Boaz begins to, to explain more of the situation. We'll see in a second that, that regards Ruth. Okay, look at verse five. It says, then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Verse 7. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. It's kind of like, you know, modern day where we like spit on our hands when we make a deal and then you like shake. Like somehow we went from swapping shoes and sandals back then to, to this. Okay, this is how you, how you, you know, officiated the deal. All right, verse nine. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon. Also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are my witnesses this day. Verse 11, then all the people who were at the gate and all the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathath and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Okay, wow. I know that's a lot. We just read 12 verses, but, but here's what I want us to understand in this section is that redemption is a legal and costly matter. Like if you're a note taker, that might be something you want to write down. Redemption is a legal and costly matter. First, let me, let me explain to you what I mean when I say legal matter, okay? You see, not just anyone could have redeemed Ruth, right? You had to be uh, one of Elimelech's relatives. You had to be a kinsman redeemer, okay? Because land back then was supposed to stay within the family. So you remember at the end of chapter three, when, um, you know, Ruth goes to Boaz and, and proposes and, and puts, you know, tells him that he, she would like him to redeem her. Boaz is thrilled and wants to, but he, he recognizes that there's actually somebody else and it's his opportunity first. So he had to put it in the other guy's, you know, the ball on his court to see what he would do in order to be able to redeem her, okay? So um, it's a legal matter that's at stake here. And, and you notice, like, they met at the town gate, and I did some research on, like, the town gate back then is, like, the well, our modern-day courtroom, okay? And so he's got these witnesses who are acting as a jury because it's a legal matter that's at stake. And the other thing about redemption is that it's costly. Okay, notice the unnamed man, right, in the beginning— at first, he wants to redeem Naomi and, and take the land because he realizes there's something in it for him. But the moment he realizes that if he takes the land and he redeems that and he takes Naomi, he's going to have to marry Ruth and bear children in the name of her husband who had passed. He's like, I'm out. He says, lest I impair my own inheritance. I don't want to do that. 
and the cost was too high for him. And Boaz, for him to, to physically redeem Ruth, he had to be able to buy all the land that was there, and he had to be willing to bear children, not in his own name, but in someone else's name, okay? Now, you may be wondering, like, that's a lot of strange details. None of this really makes that much sense. How is this relevant to us thousands of years later here, okay? Like, how does this impact us here and now? Well, we've mentioned this before in the story of Ruth, but Boaz, the kinsman redeemer of Ruth, is actually a foreshadowing of the ultimate, the greater redeemer who would come one day, Jesus Christ, okay? Um, and, and it's really important that we don't, that we don't miss this. You see, every single one of us, like Ruth, we were foreigners. Or maybe we still are a foreigner. All right, not in a foreign land of Israel, but we are foreigners to God. Scripture says that because of our sin, we are alienated from God. That because Adam sinned and the entire human race fell, we were born with a sinful nature, with sinful hearts, and therefore, we cannot be in right standing with God. Actually, Scripture says that we are enemies with God. And like Ruth, there is nothing that you and I can do to redeem ourselves and get ourselves out of the situation. We, like Ruth, were poor. We are poor. I'm not talking about physically poor. I'm talking about spiritually poor. We are spiritually impoverished. We are unable to save ourselves from our sin against a holy God. So how right? How is our redemption a legal matter? Well, God is just. He is a holy, good, and just God, and therefore he will always execute perfect justice. Every single one of us has sinned against this God. I mean, we have broken his law. We are lawbreakers, and God cannot just overlook our sin as if it's not a big deal. We need a redeemer. We need someone to come and redeem us from our situation, and who is not only just able, but also willing to pay the cost. And praise God that his son Jesus was both willing and able to pay the cost to redeem us from our sin against God. So here's how Paul explains it, right? This is, this is after Jesus, right, has died on the cross and rose from, our, uh, from, rose from the grave to pay for our sins. This is in Romans 3. Look at how he explains our redemption. From verse 23, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is the state of humanity. We've all sinned, we've missed God's standard, we've broken his law, and we are guilty before him. Verse 24, it says, and are justified, meaning we are made right with God by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. That word propitiation, it's only, I, th I think only used twice in our whole Bible, okay? But it's a really important word. It means to appease God's wrath. I guess we, in, in America, we love talking about how God is loving and he's good and he's merciful, but guys, he is also just. And to sin against a holy God brings on consequences and it makes him angry. He hates things that are bad. He hates injustice. He hates it more than all of us do. And for God to be a just and good God, he has to punish those who sin. He has to carry out consequences on sinners. Otherwise, he would not be a good judge. Well, God sent Jesus to live the perfect life, but also to take the punishment 
for our sin, for our sin against an eternal God. That's what that word means, to be received by faith. And this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, in this text, guys, Paul wants it to be very, very clear how Christ redeemed us, how Christ is actually the greater Boaz, the one who would come one day to redeem us from our greatest need. And like, you'll know, like it had, there was a cost and it also had to be done legally. Like there are certain things that God cannot do. He can't just overlook our sin. He has to punish sin. And rather punish it in us, he punished it in himself, in his own son. Like this is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why we meet on Sundays to gather as a church and worship God for making a way for us to be redeemed from our sin against him. And unlike Boaz, it wasn't something that he paid out of his pocket. Right, Boaz just purchased that land. Jesus would pay with his own life. I like how Peter talks about how we were ransomed or redeemed. He says it wasn't with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The cost, guys, was not Jesus just leaving the glories of heaven and taking on flesh and becoming a man and living a perfect life, but also giving up his life. Taking our place on the cross, that was the cost. Being punished by God. And Paul says, and the one who has faith in Jesus is no longer guilty, but justified. All right, there's a definition that this theologian named Wayne Grudem, he uses for justification. And so I have it, I think, behind me on the screen. But here's what, here's what it means, guys. Justification is an instantaneous legal act of God. It's an act of God, not of us, in which he, number one, thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us. And two, he declares us to be righteous in his sight, right? It's an instantaneous legal act of God in which he, one, thinks of our sins as forgiven. And Christ's righteousness, right, the perfection, Jesus' perfect life as attributed to us, belonging to us. And number two, he declares us to be righteous in his sight. This is what happens when we hear the good news of what Christ has done and we respond in faith. We're no longer enemies with God. We've been purchased, we've been redeemed, brought into his family, now a part of the family of God, and nothing can change that. We are now righteous in God's sight, okay? Redemption is a legal and costly matter. Let's keep reading in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son, then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. 
Verse 16, then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. All right, here's the next thing we need to see. is that God's redemption leads to transformation. Okay, remember back to chapter one. All right, think about Naomi and think about, think about Ruth and how she was described. All right, she's a widow. She's a foreigner, a Moabite living in Israel, right? Israel hated Moabites. The Moabites hated Israel. She was widowed, had no future. She was poor. But now because of her redeemer, she's no longer the Moabite woman. She's a person of Israel. Her identity has changed. She's been transformed. And it has nothing to do with anything that she's done. It has everything to do with the one who redeemed her, Boaz. He paid the price to redeem her. He purchased her as his wife. And what a picture of God's grace towards us. That when God saved us and we were born again, right, we're no longer enemies of God, but, his, but by his grace, we've been brought into his family. And we have a new identity as children of God. That the thing that we've done no longer defines us, but the work of Christ is what defines us. That when God looks at us now, he sees us holy and blameless. Though we are not, that's how he sees us. And because he purchased it, it has nothing to do with anything we contribute or done. It's all the work of God and his grace. You see, when someone is redeemed, when someone's purchased by God, or they have a new identity, and things should look different in their life. Like Ruth's life looks a whole lot different after she was redeemed than before. And when we were redeemed by God, guys, our life should look different. Not, I'm not talking about like physically that we should have more stuff. But when someone encounters the grace of God and his spirit comes to live in us, the things that we value are no longer the things that we used to value. The things that we choose to partake in are not the things that we used to choose to indulge in. Like the gospel changes us. We've been given the mind of Christ. All of this, guys, is a work of God's grace. And I, I feel like I, I've seen this in my own life and I've seen it in many years. And, and so many of the college students who've come to know Jesus this last year, it's just the things that they value are not the same. I remember the um, story of a guy last year who, who he became a Christian and two weeks later comes to me and says, Tim, like, I don't understand. I just know there's so many things that I do day by day that I'm like, why do I do these? These things are not good for me. Like, I don't want to do those things anymore. And I'm like, yes, that's God's grace working itself out in your life because you're a new person. You're not who you used to be. Okay, redemption it leads to transformation. And um, just a little side note, I can't help but think of this unnamed man early on in the first few verses. You know, he had an opportunity to be a part of this great story of redemption. Right? He knew the law in the Old Testament. He knew that it was his responsibility first. He knew God's commands. But he was more focused on his own legacy and his own interest in the commands of God. And guys, I think there's a lesson for you and I in that too. That when we get more focused on the things that we're worried about in our own interest, rather than the commands of God, we miss out. We miss out. Like think, 
of the times in your life where you have, like all the regret in my life has been when I haven't been obedient to God. Not because I've never regretted in my whole life once being obedient to God. But I have a lot of regret when I haven't obeyed his commands and I've sought my own interest instead. Like he knows what's best for us. He wants what's best for us. So just a side note. um, Let's finish with this last list of names in verse 18. It says, now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Okay, not sure about you, um, but whenever I'm reading the Bible and I come across a list of names like this, it's really easy for me to just like check out and like this, this seems really boring. Like, like what is relevant about this? Okay, but there's something that the author of Ruth really wants us to see here that's really important. Okay. See, this is one of those places in scripture where I feel like we see God's sovereign hand and his providence just, just working clearly through this story, right? That God is in absolute control of everything. And when things seem completely out of control, and like they're spinning and God must not know what he's doing. Actually, he does. He does. So I'll explain. Look in verse 22. Obed, right? That's Boaz's and Ruth's son. He fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. That's King David, the greatest king in Israel's history. Ruth got to be the great-grandmother. Okay? And if you and I were to go and read the Christmas story in Matthew this year, we'd open up to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. All right? You don't, you don't need to turn there. You take my word for it, or you can if you want. Um, Matthew chapter 1, I believe it's verse 5 you would see Ruth's name, and then you would see David's name. And if you kept going down, you would see Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Redeemer who would come one day. Like this is one of those times in Scripture, you know that promise that we love quoting in Romans 8, that, you know, for those who love God, we know that he works all things for for the good of them who've been called according to his purpose. Because like we clearly see that working itself out in this story. Remember how this started. Like, remember how the nation of of Moabites, the Moabites started. Like, a man gets drunk by his two daughters, and they sleep with him. It's it's incest. This is one of the worst perversions that you read in the Scripture. And then the offspring of that child ends up becoming this, this nation of Moab. And Ruth's story, which seems completely helpless and hopeless. In the beginning, she's widowed, and yet God went after her, redeems her, and uses her to play a role in the lineage of his son who would come one day. Like, how amazing is our God that he can redeem a situation like that and use it for his glorious purposes? Now, I was talking with um, my wife, Lindsay, as we were on our way up from Louisiana this last week about this story. And um, a lot of you, you know, if you, if you know us, that her brother passed away almost two years ago. And so we've been walking through a lot of grief ourselves, and it's been the hardest, hardest two years of our life and our marriage. And 
it's easy to read a story like this. I just feel the need to say this. It's easy to read a story like this in Ruth where it's like, okay, like they were redeemed. It's happily ever after. Like Naomi and Ruth, like it was all rainbows and butterflies for the rest of their life. And I just want to say, I, I do not think that's true. I don't believe that to be true. Like Ruth and Naomi, they both lost their husbands. Like if you're married right now, just think about what it would be like if you lost your spouse. Naomi lost two of her sons, both her sons. Right? I am sure that even after Boaz had redeemed the situation, they still walk their days on earth. Yes, having joy in the Lord and what he's done, but also at the same time, immense grief. That there were hard days ahead where they would ask the question, man, why did it have to be this way? They didn't see the full picture. Okay, and we won't always see the full picture of how God's working all things, but guess what Naomi and Ruth see now? They do see the full picture. They do see how God was working and that the way that he worked was good and perfect and holy. And so I just know that like Christmas season can be really hard. And I know that there's many of you personally who I've talked to who are walking through some really, really hard things. And I just want you to be encouraged knowing that like, it doesn't need to just, just be all joy and that everything's all good all the time. Like, yes, we can have joy, but at the same time, and, and feel the weight of the grief that we're walking through. And we may not see until glory what God was doing for us. But what I do know is that one day we will see. When we are with our Savior in heaven, we will see. And we will look back and be able to, God, I see what you were doing. Your ways are so much higher than mine. You are gracious and good. And you love us. And we don't deserve it. We praise you. Okay, so let's pray. Father, I thank you for this incredible short story in your word that really happened that points to the greatest story in the whole world of your son coming into this broken world that we messed up, Lord. We rebelled against you, and you came after us with your son. And you redeemed us. Lord, I pray that that truth will be the greatest truth in our lives, that we would cling to it and we would cherish Christ above all else. And that, Lord, because you have redeemed us and because you have bought us, and because you have brought us into your family, that our lives would look different. That we wouldn't value the same things that the world does. That we would recognize that this isn't our home. That we wouldn't focus on trying to store up treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy, Lord, but that we would go after building up your kingdom because that's what's gonna last forever. The things here will fade away, they'll perish. We want to fix our eyes on that which matters most, and that's your son and his kingdom. And so thank you, Lord, for inviting us into that. 
Lord, I pray for opportunities this week that we would be able to be bold and invite our friends and our family, our coworkers, the people we know to come hear this good news, that we would be bold to share it with them and not just assume that they know. Lord, this is the greatest truth in the whole world and you have completely changed my life and so many people's lives here in this room because of it. So would you continue to do that, Lord? Would you be glorified this morning? We praise you that you are our Redeemer. Amen.